0: Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Connell. Danny
1: Connell, back to throw versus Denver.
0: He's his tight end and Rajah Bell.
1: Bell has done everything. Twenty-two
0: for Rajah. It's all the future of football right before
2: your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me.
0: What is going on? Welcome to Off the Bench, Danny Cannell and Raja Bell. It is our 117th episode. Has
2: it been that long on
0: the podcast on side? The pod, but it is episode number one on CBS Sports HQ. Rubber baby. So baby if, you, if you're if there's a podcast listener out there and they're like, "What are you talking about?" If you listen to the pod, you can actually see us live. Yeah. On CBS Sports HQ. So I have to go is go to cbsports.com backslash live. You can watch us. You can see what we're doing, our reactions. If I say something crazy, Raja looks at me and says, what are you doing? You're out of mind. You can actually see his response. Yeah. And if you're watching us right now on CBS Sports HQ, you can go download the pod. If you can't see us every day, go check us out. iTunes, anywhere pod, podcasts are available. You can go watch us. I
2: feel like Ricky Bobby where I don't know. Like <laughs> you, now there's a camera and I'm right? like, I don't know what to do with got my like, hands. You to pick your nose. Do you to do?
0: <laughs> watch out what you're doing. Now, I asked you before episode one mm-hmm. of Off the Bench if you were nervous the night before and you said, nah. Nah. Any any kind of excitement? Nah. Yeah. I mean, did excitement
2: I excitement, yeah. But like not.
0: But I did not notice. nervous. Like yeah. dressed up a little more today. Well, yeah. I
2: There's, I, there's
0: the hoodie. Listen, got, like the nice. I put
2: sweater. a rush haircut on it last night. I shaved a little bit. You yeah. know, I come in here looking all kind of crazy, but today I felt like I needed to, you know, portray a little better.
0: There you go. You know, a fresher and cleaner image, if you will. <laughs> all right, sounds good yeah. for the people. All right, so hopefully you enjoy it. <laughs> hopefully you keep checking us out Uh every day. We'll be on five days a week, seven a.m. live. No yeah. joke, because I think people yeah. wondered on the podcast, do you guys really get up that early? Yes, we do. All right. And it's gonna be tough because there's a lot of football starting, the games go later. <laughs> preseason football has been out there. Yep. To be honest with you, just full disclosure, I don't watch a ton of preseason. Sure. Uh it's it's hard for the fans. I think four games is way too much. But this preseason I've been really actually more excited for the preseason than ever before for Why? a couple reasons. Rookie class of quarterbacks. Yeah. We've had these, you know, unbelievable class that we're talking about with Baker Mayfield number one overall and the slew of other guys. So I want to see how they would do. Some of them are pushing for starting jobs, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But I was also curious because in this offseason, there was a rule change, uh, that was going to deal with player safety. It is the biggest issue that is con- confronting the NFL right now is what do they do with concussions? How do they handle it? And so the NFL says we're going to protect our players. So we're going to come out with some rule changes. When I first saw these I was like, uh-oh, we could be in trouble. And the first rule they one of the rules they implemented was the Aaron Rodgers rule. Now the the wording on this is so ridiculous. Like I cannot stand these rules. And when I read them and then it's even worse when I see the flags thrown on them. So a rushing defender, a rushing defender is prohibited from committing such intimidating and punishing acts as, quote, stuffing a passer into the ground or unnecessarily wrestling or driving him down after the passer has thrown the ball, even if the rusher makes his initial contact with the passer within the one-step limitation. Instead, the defensive player must strive to wrap up the passer with the defensive player's arms, and not land on the passer with all or most of his body weight.
2: The length of that was absurd, number one. Yes. And so like the gist of this is you're asking a 290-pound guy running full speed to tackle a passer to realize that that ball has already been released and not try to... Slam him to the ground, yep. which is the whole spirit of the game, right? Like that's you, you don't <laughs> right. want that to take place anymore,
0: right? I mean, that's kind of the basic role of tackling is bringing guy to the ground. Now right. they're trying to say, like, do you want to gently set him down? <laughs> do You want to lay him Let's on place his side. Him. Yeah. Now that's obviously we're being a little bit sarcastic talking about the way they're doing. It. I think what they want to do is see where you kind of the, the alligator style or crocodile where you wrap and roll, yeah, which I think is being taught at a lot of the youth levels now. But we have gone so far over the top to protect the players. And in my in my opinion it's all a response to yes there are some serious issues the NFL is dealing with but the NFL is trying to appease opinionists columnists who have been just ripping the NFL saying oh you know this this is really It's an a image event. issue. It is. Yeah. But you at some time you've got to just admit it. The NFL football the game of football is a violent sport. Which can cause injury.
2: At its core. I mean, it's yes! like, and, and if you don't want to play it or you don't want to watch it, it's your prerogative not to play or not to watch. But you, you can't, I mean, Richard Sherman's quotes, what were Richard Sherman's quotes? He says, there's no, there is no make adjustment to the way you tackle. Even in a perfect form tackle, the body is led by the head. The rule is idiotic and should be dismissed immediately. When you watch rugby players tackle, they are still led by their head. Yes. Uh, this will be flag football soon. Like, I agree. In some respects, I'm out on the football field the other day, and I'm watching my son play. He's 11. When he started playing four years ago, every single coach taught him head in front of the ball carrier. That way he can't, you know, if you miss him, you still got your body involved in the tackle. So now they're teaching the hog tackling, right? Mm-hmm. And these kids, and and they're only four years in, and they're able to kind of pick up things quicker than adults who have played it 20 years, right? That's just a natural thing. They struggle with it. Right? They struggle with making a hog tackle because they've been taught The other way to play it. So not only you're gonna see, you're gonna see injuries number one for some of the rules where these guys have to go lower because you can't lead with the crown and anything to the, you know, the torso and above becomes an immediate flag. Yep. Um, and then you're going to see people just whiffing, like guys who were good tacklers. If they try to go by the letter of the law, there's going to be a lot of whiff tackles. Tackles in general will be sacrificed because of this rule.
0: Richard Sherman's not the only player who's chimed in. A bunch of guys been on there. Eric Weddle chimed in on Twitter. The fact that rule changes are made without the thought of asking the players who play is baffling to me. Dumb, dumb, dumb. And he's a hundred percent right. And this is one of the biggest problems the NFL has. Also is the fact, and we've talked about this a lot in the podcast, the NBA, the owners and those, in the players, they have more of a partnership, right. right? They, they look at problems together and they try to solve them together because they realize they're all in it together. The NFL is the owners over here, the players over here. It's contentious. It's, it's very oftentimes uncomfortable and right. awkward. And yet again, you have a major issue, a major rule change and the players haven't been addressed on it. And they're spot on. Good for them for voicing for out sure. getting to Twitter. But is it going to change anything? I don't know.
2: Well, hopefully, like, so ownership, what happened with ownership in the NBA, this was uh, nine years ago maybe, they, cha- they changed the ball. The league and, and the owners were like, these balls are too expensive. We're going to change the ball. We're going to go to a synthetic ball. They last longer. Um, and they didn't consult. Oh, well, they did slightly, but it was just mandated. You guys tell us which one of these synthetic balls you like. And they sent out, like, A box, every NBA player got a box of five balls during the summer that you could try out. Well, guys hated all five balls. So we wound up playing half a season with these terrible balls and we almost revolted to the point where they had to go back and fix, fix the ball situation because guys were so unhappy. And maybe, you know, you'll see a situation like this. I have another question for you because this was the other thing that presented itself at football practice while I'm out there with my beer and my thing just chilling (laughs) out, right? Um, the keep your head, the keep your head away from the other kid's head situation. What do you do when you're trying to keep your head out of the situation but the ball carrier leads with his head? Because I think it's kind of a natural thing when you're bracing for contact. Like you try to get small, right? Mm -hmm. And getting small, like shoulder comes up, head kind of tilts down a little bit. Like how do you get out of the way of that?
0: So here's the way that the tackling should be taught. If you're going to have any type of contact, it should be and – it's been taught at – I'm sure your sons have heard this too – See what you hit. Sure. Right? And that's the injuries that occur are when you drop your head and you lead with the crown and you, do- and then you can really spear. Like right. That's when you use your, we- your, your helmet as a weapon. And that's when it becomes dangerous. And those are the hits you should be trying to eliminate. But there have been way too many reviews and that's the helmet to helmet rule. There have been way too many reviews we've seen in the preseason where it looks like a bang bang play. Player leads with his with his eyes where you can see it, but because the helmets collide, they're gonna call a penalty. That's why you wear helmets. Right. Your heads don't have to collide. They're there for a reason. And I do not think it's an over exaggeration to say, I agree with Richard Terman. They need to nix this rule quickly. They need to get rid of it. They need to say, you know what? We've tried it in the preseason. It's too fast a game to try to do this. Because I saw, like Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk wrote an article and it said, hey, we we need to implement review in this one. Instant replay review. You know, we're already dealing in the NFL with a problem of the games are too long. With a replay we're situation. Tack on twenty minutes to a game, especially with how many flags they've thrown in the preseason. It's way too many.
2: I agree with you. Crown of the helmet versus just a helmet hitting or they're two different things and the intent i think is clear right when you see someone put that head down and launch themselves like that's not if this is all judgmental right like yes. it's all relative but you can tell when a guy is trying to knock somebody out with the crown of his head versus i'm going in for a tackle maybe the uh, the, the ball carrier got a little low and and helmets college lie.
0: football has it right they actually have all of this stuff right Because they've had in these penalties, similar penalties. They had the targeting rule ejection before. They review them. They look at them and make sure they get the call right. Even more so in the NFL because you can find them, especially on the Aaron Rodgers rule, like the the, the, are you slamming him to the ground. Don't even call a penalty. If they do it and it's egregious, fine them 50 grand the first time, 100 grand the second time, suspend them three games the third time. Like if there's a serial abuser of it. Right. But you should make a judgment if a guy has intent to hurt and to harm and really doesn't make any issue to avoid that type of tackle with a quarterback. Because it's just, when you're talking about 290 pounder, it's impossible for him, if he's going and he has his point on the target and he said, I'm going to tackle that guy, he can't all of a sudden hit that target and then change it's ridiculous air, like, and flail. It makes ridiculous. zero sense whatsoever. Uh so the NFL, it is it is getting louder. The voices are getting louder against it. I get it that you have an issue. You want to make the game safer, but the game is never going to be safe. Get over it. You gotta deal with it and people have to come to terms with it. Uh or else don't play. Simple right. as that. I That's agree. the NFL should take that stance. Uh speaking of the other reason I was watching the rookie quarterbacks. Yeah. So they've been on display and I, I knew this was going to happen. Week one Oh, my gosh. Did you see Sam Darnold? Like, he's ready to start. Baker Mayfield, he should start over Tyrod Taylor or Terod Taylor, whichever way you Rod, want to say like it, a, it. I thought it was Tyrod the whole time, but it's no, Terod. Yeah, he, he made it sure he wanted to do that. Um, You know, Josh Rosen looks good. Lamar Jackson's been running past people. Just slow down. Like, slow your roll. Relax. It's one game. Let's see some more. So, as you've seen these players play a little bit more, you've seen them come back a little bit to the norm. They've had their kind of rookie mistakes, which is completely normal. But I think what coaches are doing, and Todd Bowles said this after uh, the game the other night, he said, I'm not going to react to what I just saw, which is the smartest advice you can give to any football fan anywhere. Sure.
2: Um, we've talked about this before in the preseason. Like it, so many things are are in play. Like, are you playing against the ones? Are you playing against the twos? Some cases you could be playing against the threes. Like all of that factors in that, like how much success they had. What, What you're looking for is, is personality traits and characteristics. You want to see a guy who's not overwhelmed by the moment, right? You want to see a guy who has kind of command of the huddle. Um, You want to see a guy who has an understanding of the game plan that you're trying to roll out there. Like all of the, you know, p- completion percentages and all of that stuff, like that'll come as he gets older. That'll come as you start to see him against better talent. And he learns that he can't make this throw in the NFL or that window is tighter than it was in college football. I just want to roll you out there and know that the person that I got, you know, is what I expected to get. And then we can build from there.
0: So the Jets quarterback situation is one where we'll do a little read and react right here, all right? So we'll yeah. give you a headline. So the Jets uh, – J- McCown comes out, talks about the QB competition. His quote was, until they tell us one guy's the starter and we operate in that mood, yeah, it's open. I don't think it's that open. Yeah. And I actually think Josh McCown has a better chance to start week one than any of them because he's he's got – and he hasn't played that much this preseason because they know what they've got in him. They've got a seasoned veteran who can run the offense. Like, and he can go out there and he can play pretty well. And there's no question about it at this point because the the coaches always ask who gives us the best chance to win. It's Josh McCown. He, because of that familiarity, because he knows what to do, we've seen him go out there and do it. Now the question is, are you truly going to who gives us the chance week one or do you want to determine out who the future of your franchise is? Right.
2: So I had this, I had this debate with, uh, with, um, David Sampson the other day because I was, I was asking him from a managerial perspective. Um, Sometimes in a situation that Todd Bowles is in right now, you could have a conflict with ownership, right? Because ownership typically wants to know what's going to give them the best chance to win long term. Is right. this kid the face of the franchise? We drafted him. You know he what? Our Todd Bowles round. is looking Todd out. Todd Bowles is looking out for his job. He should be so. Yeah, he <laughs> wants the guy that gives him a be- the best chance to win right now. Um, Hopefully, if you've got a good culture there, those two things align, and you can figure out the best way to do it. Maybe Josh McCown, you know, is the guy up front. And we keep. We keep getting Sam Darnold the reps until he's ready to go. I'm not the interesting um, name in the room there for me uh, is Teddy Bridgewater because I do agree with you. I think Teddy Bridgewater is Teddy Bridgewater is a better NFL quarterback than Josh McCown, but Josh McCown has a mastery of what they do there um, in, in in New York, and he's already run that offense. So I think he's got the upper hand. It looks like they've been rolling him out. Like, what are the chances that Teddy is on the roster? Do you think he gets traded? What do you get for Teddy at this point? Like, what do you? How do you see that playing out?
0: So. I think all three quarterbacks for the Jets are going to play. Yep. They're just, their offensive line is too bad. I think they're going to have a rough season again. There's not much talent on that roster. So you're going to see Darnell play. You're going to see Josh McCown stay and you're going to see Chetty Bridgewater play. That being said, if in Bridgewater looked great the other night, yep. like, he's a great story. He's such a good kid. He has a great, uh, you know, he's from South Florida, sure. uh, and had to overcome this injury, which was not your run of the mill ACL But he almost like, lost his leg. Yeah. It was really bad and like root form and all that stuff. But when he comes out, like if you're the Jets and you take a call, I say, I'm not even listening unless you bring me a second and I'll consider a second, but you might have to drop a first round for me Ugh. for me to part ways with Teddy Bridgewater because like I said, I think there's a good chance one of these guys may not make it. Like usually we're seeing injuries across the league, especially at the quarterback position. McCown's getting older. Yep. He's had issues before. Uh, Bridgewater's coming off this ACL. Like how, who knows how exactly healthy he is? And Darnold's a rookie who's going to be thrown out to the fire. You don't want to be just stuck out here. If he does struggle with zero option of bringing him back, you know, like benching him after that. So I think they're going to ride with three quarterbacks. Unless somebody gets in trouble at the starting position and they offer him a first or second rounder, then I wouldn't, I think you're looking at Teddy Bridgewater too. I'm a firm, I
2: do not, look, I'm not a big fan of rolling out your young, your young kid into a situation when you have two guys there that have been through that and have done that because I don't want what you just said to happen. I don't want to start a kid who's like, Barely keeping his head above water. Right. You can tell he's struggling. The game is too fast for him right now. Not that it would be for, for Sam Darnold, but what I don't want to do is have to bench him. I right. don't want to have to bring him back because I lose my locker room. Cause there, you know, there are other vets in a locker room and that's what people fail to realize sometimes. Like, yeah, Sam Darnold might be the guy for the future, but you have other guys in your locker room that are trying to win now also. Not just because they want to win a Super Bowl, because that might not be a possibility in New York, but they're playing for like their next opportunity, their next paycheck. So they want that team to have the most opportunity to succeed as possible. Um, And if you roll out a kid who's not ready to do that, you would hate to have to roll him back and sit him down, because that could be crushing. Yeah. Um, So let's keep it moving. We'll go to... um, Anonymous coaching comments on Nick Saban being overrated, which I don't like the whole anonymous part. But, uh, this is what, this is what CBSSports.com does, a candid coaches series. Uh, and this was a quote. If you had the number one recruiting class in the country every year, you'd win like Nick Saban. He shows up at every single game with a better roster than the teams he's playing. If you count cheating and getting the best players in the country as part of running a program, he's the best in the country. It's like saying an NFL coach is the best coach in the league if he gets 25 first round picks every year.
0: All right, I see where this guy is going. This is none of his coach, but I'm with you. I hate anonymous that. Like, coach. put your name on it. at yeah. least Jalen Ramsey. Like when he's out there talking to yeah. you about, about all the quarterbacks, he's backing it up. Be a man, back it up. Especially if you sound like a hater, like you do here. That's straight peanut butter and jelly, bro. Yes. <laughs> straight. Peanut I butter see and jelly. where he's trying to go with that because they do have a significant advantage. They have better players in the field every single time they take the field, except for maybe one or two. But the thing that makes Nick Saban great is yes, he's one of the best recruiters he's ever seen, but he also develops that talent and coaches that talent better than anybody. Like he gets players to buy into the system, to buy into what they're doing, and fall like you know how hard it is to keep especially in today's era, to keep kids from getting complacent, from keep them from getting distracted. And he's done it for a period of a decade now at Alabama. There's no way you can call him overrated.
2: You can't. No that's everything up. For those who didn't know, my peanut butter and jelly is a reference to being jealous. Like he, that's, that is someone who's really jealous. And listen, when you're talking about a, a coach, like coaching encompasses a whole lot of things. It's not just X's and O's. Like you can have a great X and O guy who's got no personality and can't recruit and he's not going to have great success because at the end of the day, you have to have horses. Yeah. Like, you got to have players. If it's you don't a talent have, acquisition yeah. business. That's what it is. And so not only that, I mean, so recruiting is obviously a huge part of coaching, uh, but delegating responsibility, right? Like, having competent people in your organization that if that's not your strong suit, it's their strong suit. It's another part of coaching. Like, this is a managerial position. So X's and O's. And look, don't don't be and complain about not having talent. If you want it, go out and beat him to it. Yeah. Right? And to some degree, you're in a business where, like, you'd be naive to think that people aren't out there doing what they gotta do to get talent. So right. if Danny's doing it and I want to be in this business and be successful at it, I better figure out how to get it done too.
0: Yep, definitely. Uh, we're gonna dive more into that, uh, coaches, co- candid coaches series because they had some other overrated names that yeah. I could not disagree with more. We're gonna do that, uh, coming up in a little bit. But Clay Thompson told Mark Medina of the, uh, San Jose Mercury News, I've said it many times before, I would like to be a warrior for life. Contract negotiations are way down the line, but I think we all have the same interest. I would love to be here for the rest of my career.
2: Good for you, bro. And watch out NBA. If these guys are going to take that uh approach where they'll figure it out like as a group and they all really want to be there. I mean, what else is he supposed to say first? Of all? <laughs> right.
0: Like that's what That's what I've always every- been like, hold on, don't yeah. get too excited.
2: Everybody's going to say that, but if it's genuine, and he strikes me like when the dad comes out and says it too, it strikes me as kind of genuine. He's already ninth, um, on the career scoring list in, in, in Golden State. He is on any other team. If you, if you just ran offense around this guy, you'd be like, I mean, they already regard him as one of the top five two guards, but he might be like the best two guard in the league. He can score on a lot of different levels. It's not as good with the ball as maybe James Harden but you'd see him put up huge, huge numbers. He's already made the sacrifice to play there and win championships. I don't think it's far-fetched to think that he would want to stay in that environment. It's what he was raised in, and if they all take that approach, like the window of opportunity there in Golden State could be a lot greater than I thought it would
0: be. Every player's goal is to stay in one team. For their career, right? I would have loved right it. Right off in the sunset. Everybody would. Yeah. Especially if you're in a great organization like that. Ooh. Money has a way of getting into it. <laughs> so we'll have to see what happens when it comes time when those contract negotiations do start. But hopefully it would. That'd be great for the NBA. Uh, how about some big three basketball talk, right? Yep. Cause it's, it's kind of, it's growing in popularity, but they, my kids love they, it. They had a little bit of AI in it, but then yeah. you know, does he show up or not? Like right. that was an issue. <laughs> well, Steven Jackson, uh, was asked if Kobe can handle the big three physicality. And uh, Steven Jackson went into it and said, come on, it's Kobe. You can play anywhere. But then he said, please come to this league. <laughs> like we the, need he's you. begging Kobe. Will we see Kobe on the court in Big 3 or any other?
2: Oh, um, no. I think Kobe's got enough going on that he's not going to want to get out there and do that. Although... Kobe's got more going on than me. Like, my kids want me to play in the Big 3 bad. Like, I don't really want to play. My kids and people around me really want me to play in the Big 3. Clearly, I'm not Kobe. But he may not have much interest. But he, he might have some people, like his daughters may want to see him play again. You know what right. I mean? Like, trainer might be like, hey, bro, go out there. And, and he does have this competitive um, fire that can't always just be satiated by making 194 million dollars off of the the sports drink. Did you see that? Yeah. Like he invested six million; it's worth 200 million dollars. Like I think it was 400 million. Is it 400 I think million? It
0: was undersold. I mean, Did I go crazy? Maybe that was too. But
2: but the point is like that is a little bit of competitive juice you get there. Yeah. But that doesn't that's not like physically competing. And maybe maybe just maybe he'll be there. But I do think the big three to get like over the hump because it is bigger than I thought it would ever be. I was yeah. like, who would ever watch? washed up NBA dudes in a three- on three format like who would do that? out there
0: <laughs> but they're in a bang still
2: it's packed my kids love it and if you drop Kobe in that mix like you got something cooking
0: and then if Kobe comes other greats will follow for sure like I'll be there if Kobe goes if
2: Kobe goes <laughs> and, and on no right. you can do a little <laughs> care yeah right all right. <laughs> all
0: right we'll have to see that uh uh big three hit up my boy yeah <laughs> all right uh let's get on we're gonna come back we're gonna do some uh a little more deeper into that coaches Paul okay. underrated, underrated and our favorite baseball player, Andrew McCutcheon. He's back breaking down stuff on Instagram. Nice. You're going to have to see that. It's coming up next on Off the Bench.
2: When I'm in the outfield and it's in between pitches or something and I'm just chilling and someone just screams, look alive out there, Cutch! For
1: real, I want to just be like, I got a heartbeat, so I'm alive. So. Isn't that what a person that's alive looks like? Like I mean for real, like
2: what do you guys expect? You you make it seem like I look like this.
0: All right. That's our boy, Andrew McCutcheon. We saw him breaking down the brawl the other night. I don't know how I uh, feel about Andrew McCutcheon's comedy chops. I feel I, like he might be a volume shooter. All right. All right. <laughs> Everything thrown at you. But I'm with you. Maybe less is more. Yeah. Andrew, Andrew McCutcheon, like, right. pick and choose your spots. Like, talking about, like, if this is going to be a daily update, might be too much. Yeah. My wife actually told me that the other day. Yeah. She's, she you're... told me that a friend of ours unfollowed me on Instagram because I was posting too much. The volume, so you, huh? You go too much. You got to dial sure. it back. But Let's the people want some more.
2: There are, no, there are no other baseball guys out there doing that. So, true. like, he's groundbreaking in that regard. That's true. Like I mean, you, at least you're seeing some personality from baseball, and that's kind of part of the, like, it would be part of my initiative to yeah. get baseball, yeah. like, yeah, sold they, to they, the they, younger they, crowd, they, right? Well, the
0: other way they get the uh, baseball out is the Little League World Series. Yeah. They got some big personalities in that. The fans also are a little bit crazy. How about the – got to see this because the fans mm. made their own seats. They do this Little League Classic – where they actually uh play a major league baseball game, and they get the little league players involved, so these fans just go out there, they just build their own stand, yeah, like, Bush like light creatures. They're just homemade it's, uh, creatures, dude. They're on scaffolding, <laughs> drinking natty ice. Doesn't seem like that's gonna have like. <laughs> approval like i know when you do a little it's house not up work, to code you know, no it's exactly. not code no. get permits uh-uh. for that type of stuff <laughs> hey good for them they, they they're still standing there the beers were still working uh overrated underrated football coaches okay right? nick saban was on a list which was one of the dumbest things i've ever heard uh but there was a full list of the overrated coaches in college football now this was uh our cbssports.com candid coaches series where they spoke to a fifth of the 129 fbs coaches pulled them at them a number of different topics but my man Willie Taggart is coming in tied for first with James Franklin getting twenty percent of the vote. It's a bunch of haters out there. Is it? Like what is going there? on?
2: Um, Willie, yeah, but Willie Taggart. Look, if you said Willie Taggart, he's been. Um, was he left like, three schools before their bowl games? Now here's his record: Western Kentucky was sixteen and twenty. Yep. All right, South Florida twenty-four and twenty-five. He's still not five hundred. And Oregon is seven and five. And now he's the head coach at Florida State University. I could see the beef on that possibly. Now, what's he is a recruiting guru? Is that-
0: it actually is a fair assessment to this point. But I think you have to—you can't just look at the record because the one coach's anonymous comment was Willie Taggart because he still has a career losing record. Right. Got to look at some of the programs he took over and where they were before. And so there's a process. Like you can't just come in and take sure. over a program like Western Kentucky that's struggling and oh, you know, over. And, you know, all of a sudden just flip it around and go 10 and 2. Agreed. There's going to be some, a learning curve. So his trajectory at each one of those schools has been positive. South Florida, same situation. It was kind of struggling. He takes over. They start to get slowly better. Now he found himself a quarterback in Quentin Flowers too, which helped him because he was on the cusp of possibly getting yeah, fired at South Flowers Florida. Quentin Flowers looked like a video game. Yes. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he changed his path. Oregon that's really unfair to criticize that because they were much worse there was much there was a you know I think there were three and nine the previous season he took over flipped it around to seven and five they had quarterback issues so if you dive deeper into it you can't just look at the numbers now that all that being said he still does have to prove that he's worthy of this job which is a top 10 I'll go top 10 so we don't make anybody upset top 10 job in all college football and he'll have to prove that And I think he's up to the task but Yeah, he does have to go out there and show it.
2: So does that mean that every coach – I mean, uh, um, this is the question to these one-fifths of the FBS coaches. Every coach uh, who comes from a a program that's not like winning – uh, traditionally, in a powerhouse that gets like a power five job, like every one of those guys is overrated. No, you got to get. I mean, you've got to give a guy a chance. To your point, if the trajectory at every place he's been is trending in the right direction, and he can recruit his butt off, and he's got ties to your program, it doesn't make him overrated to get that job. It means that he's someone that they think potentially could come in there and hit his stride and do things for that program. Uh, the one yeah, I don't like,
0: you talk about peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, that definitely comes into place with for a sure. lot of these coaches.
2: What's I don't like the. Up? I don't like the James Franklin thing though. I don't like James Franklin because James Franklin, um, like he, they can't say that he's underachieved or he's been like he took Vanderbilt and he was 24 and 15 in three seasons at Vandy. Um, now I did take him a couple years at Penn State. He was seven and six, seven and six, but the last two years he's 11 and three and 11 and two in the Big Ten. So I don't even know
0: what's the knock on James Franklin. So the quote, the anonymous quote, James Franklin is coaching peers. No, he is full of it. You can't have as much success as you had at Vanderbilt that's one of the toughest coaching jobs in the entire academic like you able to turn around and win nine games and say you're overrated you just can't do that right here's here's I think what's really going on here you read this James Franklin has been accused before of being a little bit phony Uh, right I mean I, I think that's the biggest problem is that a lot of these coaches I think are jealous but I think they also they're gonna tell you like it is and I think that's what they're saying when they say they know he's full of it great recruiter awesome recruiter but he's also, that's what we talked about with Saban. Like, he's amassing this talent, and now he's doing things with it. They got left. I thought they should have been in the playoff two years ago when they took Ohio State because Penn State won the Big Ten. They're trajecting on the right path right now. I think they're going to be one of the Big Ten. They're, when we talk about the strength of the Big Ten, we're not leaving Penn State out. We're including them as one of the reasons the Big Ten is so much better right now. Right. And he is a big reason of that, so i don't I don't know why people are are hating on him at all. Like I, I'm with you. I don't get it. I think it's more of a personal dislike for James Franklin than it is. Oh, he's not accomplishing anything at Penn State. So we'll have to see if that goes. All right. How about underrated coaches? Okay. Cause I actually appreciate these dudes and I like these, this list more than the overrated because I, I don't know, just the overrated ones feel like they're a bunch of haters being jealous, but the underrated, I think you're giving credit where credit is due. David Shaw comes in the most, uh, with 12% of the vote. No surprise there. I think he, but see, I think he's actually properly rated because I think everybody does have an appreciation sure. for what he does. He makes really good money. Uh, Chris Peterson, similar situation. Pat Fitzgerald for me who's tied for third with uh eight percent of the vote he to me is a guy who doesn't exactly get some of the love that Shaw and Peterson and some of these other coaches get on this list and he's been there at Northwestern producing for his entire tenure
2: yeah the best two names on that list for me are because David Shaw people know David Shaw um maybe Stanford if they were on like if they were on the east coast it'd be a lot you know be a lot easier for people to, to really know exactly what they do year in and year out there um but those two names, uh, the last two names on the list, Kyle Winningham out there in, in Utah, like those two teams, they they get it done year in and year out. And you're not getting like the five stars all the time when you're at those programs. You know what I mean? You're bringing in guys, you're identifying guys who have flown under the radar, and you're you're molding to some degree, you're developing that talent. Um, and when you can sustain that at schools that aren't. You know, your power five jobs and stuff like that. That says a lot about you, your coaching staff and your ability
0: there. I think there's a coach left off there. David Cutcliffe at Duke. Oh, sure. Does a fantastic job. So here's the thing. We talked about Saban. how it's a talent acquisition business, right? You're trying to amass the most talent you can. These guys have restrictors on what they can do because of the academic restrictions yep. or if you're Kyle Whittingham at Utah, you're just not that most desirable a spot. Right. You don't have, you're not, ta- you're not in the state of Texas or California or Florida where you're able to pull from. So there's challenges there. I will always look at some of these coaches and have more respect for what they do because they are doing more with less. With less, for sure. They are the best coaches of the game because they're maximizing the talent that's there or the lack of talent. You
2: there. know who I don't understand got left off that overrated list? Seriously, and I've talked about it like early in one of our earlier episodes, Jim Harbaugh. Like, how the, how the hell does he escape being overrated at, at 39 and 28? You haven't developed a quarterback yet. You're one of the highest paid coaches. They pay him like they paid Nick Saban and uh, Urban Meyer.
0: Yeah. And dumb done damn thing. No, you're right. That's why I think this year is huge for Harbaugh, especially the first game of the season. They go to South Bend. They yeah. play Notre Dame, who I think is a sleeper. He's smacked uh, off they better win that game. Because I think even Michigan fans are starting to feel like you are, which is, hey, it's time to see some results from the $7 million salary. We like hearing all the smack talk, but let's start backing it up. Yeah. No doubt about it. All right, how about a little baseball talk? You ready for that? You know We're going to dive into it the AL West dive, race man. right <laughs> now. Uh That coming up, plus what did I do now? I don't know. It's a new uh, segment they got. Hannah has fun with it. She just rips on me. Uh That and more. It's coming up next on Off the Bench. Welcome back to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell and Rajah Bell. Let's dive into a little Major League Baseball talk, all right? Because I know that's your favorite stop. We do a little do segment mean, called Talking Baseball with Bell. I'm my favorite. So if you would have asked people a couple months ago about the American League uh, pennant races, people would have said, you know what? It's, it's easy. It's a lock. It's either yep. going to be the Red Sox or the Yankees in the East. The Indians had a significant lead in a trashy AL Central. And then it was the Astros are going to repeat and win their division in the A.O. West. Well, hold on a second yeah, because the, the Oakland A's have made an incredible run. They've been on fire lately Um and they're doing it with a roster that is the uh third lowest payroll in all of Major League Baseball. And I think this because anytime I see a team like the Yankees, who are my squad, like I like the Yankees or Red Sox or in the Marlins when they did it. When you tried to buy championships, when you tried to just back up the vote and say, "All right, we're gonna pe- we're gonna buy every superstar out there, we're gonna have the most talented roster across baseball," it doesn't always necessarily translate. And I think even sometimes it presents bigger problems than if you have guys who are kind of a bunch of no names, but they're buying in and they're playing a team sport the way it's supposed to be played. Like, yeah. I think there's an incredible value in that that often gets overlooked by owners who fall in love with the stars and they just want to buy stuff you they have, really do they think it's fantasy
2: yeah and look stars you know they're a couple kind of stars like sometimes stars are really productive um and they're clearly like the best player in the business and then there are other guys that are made situationally and media media darlings and stuff like that you get yourself a handful of guys that are they may not be like top end superstar, but they're damn good players. Like they're in that level right below that who are hungry and they don't get that star treatment from the media. Maybe they're not in favor with the fans. They typically will have a target on the guy that is the star because they feel like, you know, they're slighted a little bit. So you get a bunch of those guys, um, and you develop a chemistry between them and you, there's a hunger and a fire in that belly. And this, this is, like MLB, uh, NFL, NBA, any type of team sport, you got a bunch of good, solid players that will play their role and they're hungry for the spot that those other guys have and you can have something cooking for sure.
0: Ultimately, I think the Astros will. They've had a rough patch. And so when you play 162-game season, you're going to have slumps, whether you're a hitter, whether you're a team, whatever it is. I don't think the Astros will falter so much where they uh, lose the division. But what I do think could be fascinating is if you have the A's who continue to hold on to this spot, they get a wild-card spot, and they could potentially see, play the Yankees. Right, in a One game, you know, winner advances, where if you get a pitcher who gets hot with the right time, they could bounce the Yankees from there, which would be a... I think it would be a worst-case scenario for Major League Baseball. And you. They, from a rating standpoint, popular. <laughs> they always like Yankees in there. As much as I love these no-name teams where nobody recognizes any of them, it's probably bad for baseball, but that would be crazy.
2: More important for the A's or Houston to get in without the wild card?
0: Um, It's... Well, I mean, the the Astros are deeper. That's what you're saying. The yeah, because we're going to one staff, it, which is deeper. So all of them, like you, you cannot be in that. If you're the better, more talented team, you don't want to have that opportunity to get because in a best of seven series, the best team is going to win most of the time.
2: Astros have who would they roll out for a wild card? Would uh, Justin it's Verlander? Probably Verlander. Yeah, he's and then good. who would the A's roll out? Uh, that's yeah, exactly. So I think it's more important for the A's. <laughs> right. The A's have to get in, uh, without the wild card, in my opinion. I think Not they, need Jackson. They, they need it. They need it better.
0: What, 17 teams? We oh, talked man. about him earlier this time, too. <laughs> Alright, let's, uh, let's get over to Hannah, cause I think she's ready to call me out. I don't know, what did I do now?
1: Alright, no dramatic pause for this one. It's already dramatic enough. So Danny, every single Monday, I'm going to call out all the things that you did over the weekend with our segment. What did Danny do now? So last week, you tweeted out a video of the kick six and just as we expected, Bama fans were not too pleased with this one. Let's take a look at some of our responses. So Finn Addiction, he said, show that time your alma mater. This guy can't spell. He said, alma mature. Won a big game in the last second against a quality opponent. We will wait. It may take you a few.
0: All right. Do you want one? It was 2013 National Championship game. 13 seconds left on the clock. Jameis Winston hit a touchdown pass to beat the Auburn Tigers from the almighty SEC. Didn't have to wait that long, did we?
2: Half a decade did so, we?
0: Bro. So, all right.
1: Another one. Coach Tom Gillespie, he said, guess what you, Danny, Auburn Tigers, and FSU have in common? To talk national success, you have to go back. To the past. <laughs> That's uh,
0: Raja. has just pulled uh, go back all the way. Uh, five years. What are, are we going back for the canes? How bro, far you are, you to I didn't them?
2: realize how unlike doing, hey, well, slow hey, Slow your roll. I'm not on Twitter blasting <laughs> all right. you, bro. It's a good thing. You have a lot of haters. I didn't realize bro, how serious this, this was. No, Raja, this is exactly glimpse.
1: why you're not on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Let <laughs> me remind you. All right. So on Wednesday, it was announced that our guy Danny will be on the broadcast for several CBS Sports Network games this fall. Now, Danny won't be on any SEC games, but don't tell Twitter that. So S. Mitchell replied to Danny saying, go crawl under a stack of turtlenecks somewhere and don't come out until February. He must listen to the podcast though, right?
0: Yeah, I hope so. I
2: actually (laughs) like that one because it was like He was serious, but he was having a little fun. right? Like, like,
0: it wasn't just straight Venom. Right. Not all of them were that friendly, though.
1: Next one, Stephen Thomas. He said, let me double-check my remote to make sure the mute button works. (laughs) Closed captioning is still
0: going to get him. Closed (laughs) captioning. They are forced to read what I have to say.
1: There you go. All right, Roll Tide Forever. He said, you're terrible. Find a new career and delete your Twitter account. But Danny got the last laugh on this one. He responded by saying, I'm pretty one-dimensional, so not many options, and I got kids to feed. I'm addicted to Twitter sorry. Jenny, how sorry are you? (laughs) Sorry,
0: not sorry. Is that what the kids say? I think that's what it is.
1: That's what they say.
0: Gotta have fun with them. Gotta laugh at
1: them. Alright guys, now it's time for Socially Relevant where I break down what's been happening over the weekend in social media. So first things first, this is something you don't normally see every day. Normally at a baseball game, the person who throws out the first pitch is a local celebrity, a familiar face, but not so fast for the White Sox. So last night they featured Sister Mary Jo. Now nuns typically aren't Oh. Or known for their partaking in the bullpen session, but Sister Mary looks like a pro on the mound, delivering an almost perfect pitch. Guys, first Sister Jean and loyalist Chicago, now Sister Mary Joe and the White Sox. What do they know that we don't?
2: <laughs> I don't know, but that elbow pop—once you saw her right? popping off the the joint, you were like, better oh, throw oh. a
0: strike too. Yeah. Like that's you're talking smack. You better bring it. And you know what was most impressive? Because a lot of times you'll see people throw from about thirty feet. Yeah, she was sixty feet on six inches. On the mound, inches. baby. She was back there and she delivered the heat. Like a so breaking ball, I look
2: like a breaking ball. I think fell off the shelf. Like
0: <laughs> she shouldn't like she hooked she it in like there. Like done the old Gaylord Perry, like gone for like this, the grease, and, uh, licked her <laughs> fingers and like throwing a little slider spitter in there. Uh, that's That'd pretty cool, though.
1: Roger, who do you think can throw a better first pitch? You or Sister Mary Joe?
0: Me,
2: bro.
1: Come on, <laughs> hey, <can> I, <laughs> no, nah, no, come, come on, better, me. Man. And no disrespect <laughs> to Sister Mary Joe. <laughs> Alright, so elsewhere from over the weekend in baseball. By now you guys are probably familiar with this little kid, Alfred Dalia. Now he is the Little League slugger from Middleton, New Jersey, who is now a superstar. He's known as Big Al. But he fell short of reaching the Little League World Series, but fear not. He still made the trip and he made some friends along the way. Check this out. Here he is with a fan. Just kidding. All right,
0: Lomini Stadium. Look who I ran into. I'm Big Al. Big Al. And one thing that we really both love to do
1: is hit dingers. Is
0: hit dingers. I hear you bro. Oh, Guys, cool. Reese Hoskins
1: your- has to watch his back.
0: Well see here's the, here's the, speaking to baseball's problem. Big Al is more famous than Reese Hoskins. Like, if you asked your boys, if I asked my girls, who, who one of these guys were, chances Big are Al. they would know Big Al because he was a viral sensation when he got out there and was like, I'm Big Al, and yeah. I hit dingers. Like, that was fantastic, but that speaks to Major League Baseball's problem. Yeah, He's more, great. We need more Big Al's. Or Andrew McCutcheon. It's like a Big <laughs> or less.
1: <laughs> All right, so from good friends over to bad friends, guys, I have a bone to pick with Jimmy Butler. This is my my biggest nightmare right here. He did the trust fall and he actually let go. He let his friend fall to the ground. Take a look at this. You That's can see up. his poor friend is waiting. be. Uh, oh. Butler steps out of the way. Lesson learned. Do not trust Jimmy Butler.
0: That ain't right. Like this is like, I'm with Hannah. If you say this is a trust thing, you cannot, that, that bond is broken. Like I can't be friends with that guy anymore. Ever. <laughs> that was, dudes, you guys are, this is fake. What? Fake news. That's no, fake. Not. That was fake. That was set up.
1: No, so maybe that humble. <laughs>
0: maybe that
2: speaks to some of the problems in Minnesota. Maybe that's why they underachieved last year. We think
0: so. I, I, that could be it. Now I gotta put. I'm gonna put all you guys on the spot, even our producers, because we don't have this in the rundown. But did you see when Dwayne Wade? There was a picture of Gabrielle Union out there. Yes, and I think it was our boy Jimmy Butler who came out there and hollered, was like, "Dang!" Like, <laughs> and then D Wade like smacked him down and said, "Don't you be coming on my account checking out my wife." Yeah, but
1: she's the one who put out the picture, right? Like, right? They're right? right. Out there. No, no, he—they're buddies, the man. they are all. Oh, cool, D Wade did. D Wade posted the
0: photo. So then, but so then, so is, he, is this playing? Like, I think he's playing. Yeah, with this is jokes. It's right? all jokes. They're people. But yeah. still, I wouldn't want anybody putting something like that on my life. <laughs> I, I don't of know.
1: Life. Don't trust Jimmy Butler, guys. All right, <laughs> that's all for socially relevant. Be sure to follow us on. On Twitter and Instagram, at Canel and Bell. Coming up next, Danny and Raja are going to break down today's leftovers. All this and more coming up next. You're watching Off the Bench.
0: Welcome back to Off the Bench. Let's finish off with some leftovers, stuff we might not have gotten to. Uh, Josh Gordon has been one of these comeback stories that I've kept an eye on closely. Sure. Um, because he's had such an up-and-down career. you got to remember his second year in the in the NFL took the league by storm. like He was a surefire. This guy's going to be a top five wide receiver in the NFL for his career. Then he runs into some substance abuse issues, has some off-the-field problems, gets suspended multiple times, and you're wondering, is this guy ever going to play again? Brown's being him back. It looked like it was on this perfect trajectory. It's going to be this great story. Then he doesn't show up for camp. and Everybody's trying to figure out what's going on, and the Browns are saying, just ask for privacy. So it was posted a note on Twitter on Sunday afternoon uh, that he actually is going to rejoin the team. So he puts out a note. Uh, Josh Gordon himself thanks the, the the Browns, their family, and says, I'm humbly ready to return as a member of this team. I think this is really a healthy situation because Adam Schefter reported he was seeking outside help from mental health and anxiety uh, to get himself right. Like, I don't think people understand it's more than just playing a sport for a lot of these guys. It's a way of life. It's a business and there is a tremendous amount of pressure especially and I can not this is one area where I can't really relate where you are an addict and you do have problems or mental health uh, you know issues you need to take care of those so that you can perform and do your job so I think it was a healthy thing for him to step away and say let me get right
2: yeah I think that was if you're in that front office or in the organization or you're in Cleveland in general you think like That was the responsible thing to do in that situation, right? Where in years past, maybe what he did was go to the, you know, go smoke a joint or do something like that. This time he said, look, I need a little bit of time. And he got himself together. Like that's maturity. It seems like growth. If you're the Browns, like obviously he comes back, he's got to clear hurdles in terms of like earning the respect and the trust of everyone as, as he works his way back, you know, but the it's a good personal story for the guy, for the kid like Josh Gordon, cause he's a phenomenal talent, like a super, you know, freak of a talent. Um, and it seems like the personal life is coming together. They need the great support staff and typically NFL, NBA, MLB teams, they have a really good support staff around them. And I said this to you before a couple weeks ago. Let's say they land Des Bryant. Let's say they land Des and you've got Josh Gordon, Jarvis Landry, Des Bryant, David Njoko, and possibly Antonio Callaway. Yeah. I'm saying it right now. That's top three receiving core in the NFL for me. <laughs> I'm,
0: ta- I'm saying it on <laughs> right. camera. It could He's could a be freak. the most talented. Yes. You might have a you might be onto something there. It could be the most um, controversial True. because you might have some big personalities <laughs> not, in there, not like, not there are be some big out there. Yes. <laughs> but as far as just sheer talent, especially yeah. what we've seen just in a short body of work from Antonio Callaway and what you saw from him when he was at Florida when he was staying out of trouble. Right. I think if you got a, a Des Bryant who was angry and wanted to show people that he was worth, like that he wanted to prove the Cowboys wrong for letting him go. Yeah, I think you could be onto something. That's why I do think the Browns. And this is with Terod Taylor, not with Baker Mayfield. But I think they'll play both of them. I think the Browns are a legitimate candidate for one of those teams that you see have the, the turnaround, the big turnaround. Right. And it also, like, this whole Josh Gordon story you got to watch Hard Knocks. I don't know if you've been watching no, it. No, I'm going to tune you've in. you got to go watch it because it's really entertaining. they got some big personalities. And now with him coming back, like you'll get a really good look at what's going on behind the scenes too. All right. So let's
2: keep it moving to Adrian Peterson's situation. He met with the Redskins on Monday. uh They also worked out Jamal Charles uh and Orleans Darkwa on Sunday. uh They lost Darius Geis, which is a sad story, to an ACL in the preseason. And Samaje P. Ryan and Byron Marshall are currently out with ankle injuries.
0: So <laughs> Adrian Peterson – Best player in the NFL three or four years ago, like just best football player, yeah. not the best quarter, you know, best football player in the NFL it was a fantasy machine, you know, joystick type stuff. Yep, not the same player. No, but he is a physical freak. He is a guy who maintains his body and works out and stays healthy, unlike anybody I've ever seen. I think this is smart for the Reds going to do this. Jay Gruden said, "Oh, we're not going to be that much different when they lost areas." Guys, yes, you need to add some depth and you need to have somebody in there that can carry the rock. So I think it's a pretty good signing, assuming that you get him at a good value. And I would put a heavily incentive-laden contract for Adrian Peterson and say, go get it. Like, hey, we want you. But I would not guarantee him a ton of money. But I would say, let's do it. Let's get you out of here. Can you
2: guarantee him a ton of carries?
0: If he wants him, if his body's up to it, yeah. why not? cause wasn't, home.
2: wasn't that the situation in New Orleans last year where he, w- yeah. where he went in and <laughs> yes. like he was pissed because he wasn't yes. in, in the rock? And- but
0: by, but they also had Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram. Right. Like they had a loaded roster. This Redskins team, if that's, and that's good. Like Adrian Peterson might be wanting to come back and say, you know what? I want to show to you guys that I still have something left in the tank. That could be a good situation. So it's more
2: like the Arizona situation where they got him and yes. they were able to just keep giving him the ball.
0: Yes. No and ball. with Alex Smith, he's going to be, uh, he's going to need a running back like Adrian Peterson right. that can carry some of that workload uh preseason football we have Monday Night Football tonight yeah. Colts Ravens I cringe every time I see Andrew Luck on the field I'm like what is he doing why are they risking reps we've seen more and more quarterbacks AJ McCarron got hurt Nick Foles got hurt I would not subject him that being said are you pumped up to watch him play tonight
2: yeah I'm interested to watch it anytime those two they were the number one and number two pick from 2012 draft anytime they're on the field together I'm probably going to tune in uh, both careers you know, struck with some injury. RG3, not not the player that everyone thought he would wind up being. But Andrew Luck, I want to see him out there. Uh, I don't want to see him out there for long. How much do you think he'll play?
0: He should. But the, uh, the trend now is such as a week two. So week one, you play a series. Week two, you'll go up to halftime. Yeah. And then week three, you play through the half and come out for one series in the third quarter. So if, if, if he follows NFL trends of what most teams do, and I'm sure this is what Frank Reich has a very specific plan in place for Andrew Luck, he'll play the entire first half.
2: Yeah, I want to see that. I wanna see that. You know what I also
0: watch the why? night? Why do you want, why do you need to see it? Why do
2: I need to see it? Cause I haven't seen him in a long time, bro. He's a so, damn good quarterback. I wanna watch him play. Practice.
0: We saw him play against Seattle week one. Like he's done enough for me to say he's passed his test. Let's go. Cause yeah, he might be rusty, but I would rather have him with a little bit of rust in week one I, than not have him at all. I hear you. It's just a fact, like it's just a fact. So RG3, talking about comebacks, like the Josh Gordon comeback, obviously a much different comeback story. Right. But RG3's been like, He's been put out to pasture by a lot of people. He's been out there. He's been made fun of. You know, people crush him for... And he did... Like, a lot of it was... He brought on himself. Like, when you come up with a different slogan every year, like, you better be able to ball. Sure. Um, but, but he I, could ball. Just yeah, a different, he could. It was absolutely. Just, it was just but it didn't fit the NFL because he put in himself other, yeah. into a lot of danger right. by doing that. For sure. But I think it would be a good story. I think he can help Lamar Jackson a ton by having this, you know, rookie first-round pick. A guy... Cause I always feel there's value in, you know, you can help people through your adversity. So RG3 can say, look, these are the things I learned from. These are the mistakes I made. This is kind of how you do it. Now that's me assuming that RG3 is willing to take Lamar Jackson, have this mentor role. Right. I think, I think he will. I think he will yeah. too. But I think, I think to, for him too, I think he's got plenty left in the tank and I think he could absolutely provide some value for this team, but he's definitely fighting for a roster spot.
2: For sure. Um,
0: Joe Flacco's hanging on for his life for that starting job.
2: Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck. <laughs>
0: If you want to see him play. All right. Well, tomorrow we'll get to break it down. We'll yep. tell you everything that he did. Hopefully we'll get to see uh, my man Lamar Jackson play a little bit too because he keeps lighting people on fire. Uh, so we'll get to see him play some too, which will be exciting. But uh check it out. We'll break it all down tomorrow. Be Hope back. you enjoyed it. Five days a week, 7 a.m. Right here on CBSSports.com backslash live. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Canel and Bell.